everybody. I am Marina Malaguti, and I'm your host at Embossed. Embossed is a podcast I've created to highlight women with amazing paths of success here in Chicago. Last year, I set out to interview the only 40 female CTOs in the city, and this year I've expanded to uh, female CEOs and women in politics and government in Chicago. I'm excited to share these interviews with you, and I hope you contact me at www.embossed.io or email me at marina at embossed.io. Hope to see you soon. Michelle Larson attributes her career path to looking up literally. Growing up in Alaska, she enjoyed the beauty of the Northern Lights, and she became further captivated by astronomy in her 20s when she pointed a pair of binoculars to the moon. The stunning details visible on its craggy surface were a complete surprise, and the experience left her eager to explore what other secrets the cosmos had to offer. Now, as the president and chief executive officer of the Adler Planetarium in Chicago, Michelle leads a talented team that connects people to the universe and each other under the sky we all share. Since Michelle joined the Adler Planetarium in 2013, that team has found new and innovative ways to meet people wherever they are and welcome them into the scientific community. The museum has expanded astronomy programming and partnerships in neighborhoods across Chicago, developed online experiences that engage people around the world through virtual field trips, sky-observing hangouts, and even a space comedy show. And the, Adler and the Adler Planetarium remains home to the Earth's largest platform for citizen science, the Zooniverse, an online tool that connects researchers with millions of volunteers around the globe. Michelle earned her PhD in physics from Montana State University and serves on several national and Chicago area advisory boards. She lives just outside of Chicago with her husband, who is also an astrophysicist, their daughter, and three cats. Welcome, Michelle. Recording in three. Perfect. Hey, everybody. This is Marina, your podcast host at Unbossed. Today, I have Michelle Larson with me, president and CEO of Adler Planetarium. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Marina. It's so wonderful to be here. Okay, let me tell you why I love Adler so much, first of all. Oh, we love hearing that. <laughs> okay, great. So, I am a huge fan of the stars, and in Chicago, because of all the lights, you can barely see any stars ever. So, um, one of my first dates with my husband, I took him to see uh, the Chicago, I, I don't know exactly what it's called, the, and you can tell me what the program is called exactly, but I took him to see the Chicago stars, at Adler, and it was beautiful because you like lay that almost like almost like a laying position, looking up and seeing the Chicago sky, the stars, as if there was no city. Yeah, and absolutely. he and he loved it, and that's how I got him. So, oh, wonderful! Well, I'm so glad we could help you too. Look one another. That's really good to hear. My husband and I actually have a. a looking at the stars story as well that that connected the two of us so the stars are magical and they can help you meet your special someone <laughs> what is that programming called by the way i i it's been a couple of years so now. you're probably thinking of um sky watch live 
-hmm. yeah, where we, we take you into the planetarium dome and we talk you through what's up in the sky tonight. Yes. And um, now during a time when many places are closed, we're actually offering that program now online on our YouTube channel. And so it's called Skywatch Wednesday. And every Wednesday we put out a new Skywatch program that tells you what's up in the sky right now. So you, wow. can, you can still look at it. It can be like renewing your, your date night. <laughs> oh, that is that is cool. Um, I'm kind of like a little. I have a little calendar of of what's happening in the sky, and there's a Aquarius meteor shower this weekend. Did you know that? Yes, yes, it's going to be wonderful. It's um kind of the remnants from Comet Haley, so that will be fun to see if we can see anything. Oh, that's that's cool. Do you think I'll be able to see it from the city? I don't know. It's very difficult from the urban areas because of the light pollution that you were talking about. So if you can get out of the city lights, it's much, much easier to see something. Yeah, I, uh, that's the uh, unfortunate part of uh, living in a city. But I'll try to make it out. I, I try to make it out to a couple of the sky events. Is, and anyone in particular, I don't know if you even follow this. I, I, don't, I should ask, but like any any sky event, in particular, you're 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 looking forward this year. There's a lunar eclipse coming up. I there know is, yeah. We also have a couple of programs also on the Adler Planetarium's YouTube channel, but we'll be talking about the lunar eclipses that are coming up, as well as um, what solar eclipses are like. There won't be one visible in the United States solar eclipse until 24, but solar eclipses are available in other parts of the world. And so um, our program called Sky Observers Hangout will talk you through all the phenomenon of the eclipses. And that's a live program. So you can interact with our astronomers and our public observing team on that program. That's amazing. Yeah. Is that on YouTube, you said? Yeah, our YouTube channel. Go to the Adler Planetarium YouTube channel. And okay. so you'll see Sky Observers Hangout. And you can <laughs> hang out with us live, but you can also watch them on the channel after afterwards. So um, it's a great way to find out what's going on in the sky. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, what, oh, so, okay, so I know this is part of what you do at Adler. Um, what else does Adler Planetarium offer for the people that have maybe have not gone or have not explored all, all of the, all of the programs? Yeah, we're very focused, um, on helping us all recognize that we are connected under the sky we share. And so as you hear from those few tidbits of some of the things we're offering, I'd say a theme through everything that we offer is how to help us feel connected to one another and to the universe under the sky we all share. So we offer observing opportunities and um, interactive descriptions about what's up there. And we just talked about that. But we also engage people in understanding the sky, understanding the universe, and related to something you were just talking about, we have um, Chicago teens, teenagers all across Chicago who are studying light pollution with us. And they are measuring light pollution from their neighborhoods. They're studying light pollution from above by launching cameras um, in a high altitude balloon above the city to look down on the city and understand how much light is going up. And then there are also a part of an advocacy program where they are working to inform and educate people about light pollution. And um, there was an entire week a couple weeks ago where our teenagers put together content for social media to help educate people about what more we can be doing to protect the night sky. So, why, yeah, and, and why? T tell us why is light pollution an issue, I guess. There, yeah, there's many um, angles in which you can connect with the fact that light pollution is an issue. Um, it has health implications. Our bodies were not meant to 
evolve with light around us all the time. And so there's a biological health direction you can go to understanding the impact that light pollution has on our sleep patterns and on diseases and things like that that we develop because our, our patterns are being interrupted. It has a um, impact on bird migration and um, animals that are trying to navigate by the moon often is what, what they navigate by. And so lighted cities and lighted buildings can confuse them because they aren't able to find the moon or, or find the direction of the moon. Um, and then as we were just discussing, it has a profound impact on our own ability to feel that sense of calm and connection and peace that we feel when we are able to be outdoors under a dark sky. Um, so much of humanity evolved studying the night sky, enjoying the night sky, seeing patterns like meteor showers in the night sky. And we've lost that opportunity to connect with the sky when we're in a light polluted environment. Um, and there's so much we can do to solve it. It's an easy fix. We just need to direct the light downward into the areas we need it and not let it spill out sideways into our windows and homes and upward into our sky. And so the good news is it's a big problem that's easily addressed if we educate ourselves and take action. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Um, the need to connect, it's part of like, kind of like the need to connect connect with nature or, you know, uh, so I, I definitely, I, yeah, thanks for that. I, I thought um, I thought it was a problem. I didn't realize recently moving in the city, it's it's become a bigger, I think, a bigger impact than what I thought it could be. Yeah, even, right. even just like driving maybe 20 minutes outside of Chicago makes a big difference in terms it of... Does. Yeah, it yeah. does. Um, I grew up in very, very dark environments. I grew up in very rural um, locations, and so I hadn't also appreciated how much the light from a city can affect our ability to even see anything in the sky. So it's often good, we, we bus the teenagers that work with us um, on this into the darker areas, um, the, the dark sky parks or the dunes so that they can see the Milky Way and the dark sky and understand what it is that they're missing. And so then they can help us measure how to get it back. Oh, wow. And, can you see the Milky Way? From, is that what you just said? You, you can, if, if you go to Indiana um, Dunes, if you go to the um, Dark Sky Park that's um, located um, south of Chicago in Illinois, if you go to these types of locations, you can see the Milky Way. It's pretty phenomenal. Why? And if you, I, I never knew this. Yeah, it's terrific. I'll, um, I'll, after we finish, I'll shoot you a video link for your own personal following, but we have a great <laughs> video of our teens talking about, also on our YouTube channel, you're going to hear a lot of repeating, go to the Adler YouTube channel, but we have a great video of our teens on the bus heading out and they start to see the Milky Way from the bus and then they get off and it's just, it's wonderful. Wow. Their, their excitement. Yeah. That's so cool. That is really cool. I like that. Uh, obviously, I have a special connection with the sky, so um, I am I'm really enjoying the, the conversation with you. And I recently discovered that um, Chicago, there's a lot of really, really badass women in Chicago running amazing programming, including Adler, like you. And I was wondering is um, how you know like. Maybe let's talk a little bit about you and, and how do you get ultimately to join Adler? Because it's a very specific purpose, I feel like. And um, how did that happen for you? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, but probably a familiar answer I'll give, which it 
was it was not planned or expected, <laughs> and it was a very circuitous path um, getting there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I. I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, in rural, darker locations, and primarily my youth was in Alaska. So I grew up in Alaska and um, didn't have a particular connection with the night sky because it's only dark in Alaska in the wintertime when it's also very, very cold. And mm -hmm. in the summertime, it's light all always. And so um, I think for those reasons, I often didn't see a lot of the night sky, but I did see a lot of the northern lights. And the northern lights were such a phenomenon that the radio stations and the TV stations and everybody would say, hey, step outside, the northern lights are up. And so that was really my lasting um, impression of the phenomenon that can be in the night sky. Um, but I went to school, I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do when I, when I grew up, not knowing what I wanted to be. I went to a broad, state school because I wanted lots of options, lots of things I could take as electives and figure out what was possible. Um, I ended up studying physics and honestly, I studied physics because it had the most electives. <laughs> there was a lot of elective room in the in the major of physics. That is a funny way of Isn't that a funny them. way? So I wanted <laughs> to take an anthropology class and I wanted to take a philosophy class and I could do that as well as take electrodynamics and quantum mechanics and all those things. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. It was pretty funny. So I got a physics degree and still didn't know what I wanted to do. Ended up with um, the privilege of having a scholarship to go to grad school in physics and still try to figure it out. Um, and I met my husband then and he was an amateur astronomer. He, he's also an astrophysicist, but amateur astronomers are those of us that cart our telescopes out into the dark skies and just look up for our own um, pleasure. And he was one of those and I like to camp and I like to be outdoors. So I tagged along with him one time and, and we went to a place and I saw the moon through a telescope and I saw the stars and I was just taken by it. I was like, wow, I don't think I really knew all that was up there. <laughs> um, so I think that was a big spark, was realizing how much was there I hadn't quite explored. Yeah. And that really opened the door for me to understanding that's what science is. Science is discovering things you didn't know were there, figuring yeah. things out. Um, so that's what really turned me on finally into what I wanted to do going forward, which was partly be a scientist for a while. I was a research scientist yeah. for a while, but I really got turned on by trying to invite others into that process of understanding, whoa, this is science, this is discovery. Yeah, and I'm, I'm checking out your resume right now, and I, I, I see that in what you're saying, because while you were a scientist, then you became a teacher of physics um, and other sciences. But, um, and, and really imparted that knowledge to others and, and taught others how to experience, really. Right. And yeah, I, 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 I like to think of it as inviting them into the process of discovery, because mm -hmm. I think I had been taught science as thinking it was, it was a done deal. And if I paid attention, I would hear what others had already figured out. And what I was awakened to is the fact that that's learning about the history of science, but the doing of science is actually the fact that no one's figured this out yet. So participate with us, be a part of the discovery is what was a real awakening for me to say, oh, oh, this is all about the unknown, not about repeating the known. Yes. And that was pretty exciting.
And I definitely feel like Adler definitely when I was there de delivers a little like that that feeling of the discovery with with you feeling of 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 teaching about the sky is not not just a lecture is more of like an interactive experience and I really enjoyed that and um, oh, I'm so happy. That makes me so happy to hear that you <laughs> felt that way. We care so much more about how you felt when you were there than anything else. So that's fantastic. Um, and uh, what does it mean to be a president of, okay, an institution like Adler? And I don't know, is, is it considered like um, a foundation or or a, or a Museum. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so that's a great question because we've been talking so much about astronomy and astrophysics, but then later in my career, I took a turn towards administration and um, worked in administration at science centers for a while, kind of um, academic science centers. But then even into just administration broadly at a university across all disciplines. And um, that was actually what, what became really important for helping me find my way to the Adler. Because to answer your question, the president and CEO of the Adler is really a, an administrative business position, a leadership position. So we are a nonprofit. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, and so we're we're a business whose tax status is nonprofit. And so like any business, you know, we are working to make sure that we are running our operation so that we can deliver our mission. And what you explained as the experience you felt when you were at the Adler, that's the goal, right? We want people to feel engaged in the discovery of science. But my job as president and CEO is to provide the leadership and the, um, the business experience to make sure that we're a healthy organization and that we're able to um, be um, strong enough to deliver that experience year after year after year, going into our 91st, just about to celebrate our 91st anniversary now wow. as, as a planetarium. Yeah. Um, before we talk about leadership, which I know um, we want to talk about a little bit, Eller has a beautiful location in Chicago. Um, is there history behind that location um, or, you know, anything you can share? Yeah, the history there is Chicago's wonderful um, vision to protect the lakefront and have the access to the lakefront and the views for all its people. So we are a park district building on park district land. And that is, as you know, part of um, Chicago's legacy is that the lakefront and the views that you're mentioning are available to all Chicagoans. So when, it, when Adler was founded in 1930, it was a city facility. It was a park district facility run by the city. And then later in the mid 60s, it transitioned into the independent nonprofit that we are now who runs the business in the park district's building. So yeah. we are a, a partnership between the city of Chicago's beautiful parklands and then our operation now that is an independent um, operation running that experience. Mm -hmm. so. oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit about, yeah, a little bit about this business. Um, as much as, or high level, I don't want necessarily to get into the detail, like how does Adler as a, as a 501c3 raise money and then 
what goals you have, whether it's, it's up to you, whichever you want to share, whether going into the next mm-hmm. year or two years and how you want to invest that into back back into the community or the building itself or the operations of the business. Yeah, itself. that's a great question. It's always so fascinating how these things work. Um, so our all nonprofits are different, right? You've seen one nonprofit, you've seen one nonprofit because we are all a little bit different and we've all got different histories and different ways in which we've arrived at the way in which we're operating today. So for the Adler, we do um, receive a significant, about a third of our annual um, funds come from our ticket sales. And so mm-hmm. when you buy a ticket to come to the Adler, that's important and helps us um, continue to be able to serve another, I'm going to just be very broad in my yeah. rounding numbers. Another third comes from philanthropy mm-hmm. and um, donors who are there to help support and sponsor the mounting of new exhibits, the creation of new sky shows, the delivery of telescope observing into the neighborhoods, all of these things you love. Um, those things come from our great sponsors that help us raise funds for that. And then we also receive some funds from Chicago taxpayers because we're on Chicago Park District land and we're so grateful for that. So a small portion of our budget, a little less than 10% comes from the Chicago Park District funds. And then we are also competitive for other government funds, federal funds, state funds. Um, Our scientists, we have scientists, we have educators who submit proposals and compete for competitive funds from the federal government. And those all together make up the other third um, of the budget. Yeah, and how, what goals do you have for Adler for the next year so that we know what to look forward Meaning I know what, yeah. gonna what you're going to look forward to. Exactly. So you've already heard me say YouTube channel, YouTube channel, YouTube channel. So during the time that we've needed to be closed because of the pandemic, we have leaned into developing new opportunities on our YouTube channel. And those are going to continue. We're really excited about the reach and the um, ways in which we've been able to invite people from anywhere into our mission through the the things we have there. We have a a space comedy show that we've launched called Wow Signal. We have the Sky Observers Hangout I already mentioned and the Skywatch Wednesday, a number of things there. So that will continue. But as we are able to gradually start reopening, as we all start to climb out of the pandemic, we're going to reboot our observing opportunities. So we have taken this closure time to install a new telescope in our observatory. And we're also renovating um, all around the observatory. We're putting in a telescope pad so we can put more scopes out there and Mm -hmm. and help more people come. So there'll be a whole observation park that's out um, around the Adler um, on the lakefront. And so we're excited to be able to start opening that up and invite people in for observing parties and observing opportunities that you were already mentioning. Not just the sky you could see in the planetarium, but we're now going to show you the sky right above your head. Um, oh, that's amazing. I'm, so that will be fun. Yeah, I'm excited for businesses that are taking this pandemic as an opportunity to renovate and to really like think about their business and 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 the experience that they want to give moving forward yes yes any, any other lessons from the pandemic that impacted adler um and as leader you are you know learning from that and, and taking them on with you yeah certainly and um, i have learned through my experiences in leadership at adler and before that crisis is unfortunately also a part of of leadership and 
that is going to be the case. We all have challenges. This happens to have been a very large one in the global pandemic that we're experiencing. But it is also the case that you can position yourself to think about crisis as an opportunity. And in fact, I would argue you, you must push yourself to think about crisis as an opportunity. Otherwise, you just get weaker or harmed by the experience. And there are ways in which you can become stronger and positioned better off because of the experience. So we have um, taken the opportunity of having the physical building closed to focus our bandwidth on, as I was mentioning earlier, how could we bring this kind of experience that we're so engaged with people in person, the connection, the everything you said, Marina, quite frankly, the feeling a part of the mm -hmm. discovery and the process. We've been doing that in person. How, did, how do we bring that to people wherever they are? And especially when we were all in isolation, we felt, boy, we all want to feel a part of something. And how do we help people feel a part of something under the sky we share from their monitor that they've been sitting in front of? And so that was the, the choice we made to really lean in and say, our mission is the same, our vision is the same, now let's find a way to deliver it to people wherever they are. And so we're really happy about that and we're really happy to be in the year when we're gonna be able to start the reopening process and maintain all our friends, quite frankly, that we've now reached in all over the globe, all over the country. We've got people who we know through the chat on our programs that we're just seeing as um, fellow observers, just like we see the people that come visit us. That's yeah. awesome. When, when are you planning to reopening, by the way? Any, any uh, dates yet or? We're still working through the, um, as I mentioned, we'll be rolling out new opening opportunities as we all navigate through um, the vaccination process, the, the willingness for people to return. Um, because it's been so financially impactful for museums, restaurants, any customer facing businesses to be closed, we all have to be really careful that we uh, reopen cautiously as the revenues are there to support the reopening because we're, we're a bit too fragile to go out over our skis right now. We have to, we have to reopen with the public's ability to return. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, we'll be keeping an eye on the website or yep. the YouTube channel to know when you're going to be reopening. All of the medias. You can see us on yeah. Twitter and Instagram and you'll know everything we're up to. So. Okay, great. Um, uh, you are president, uh, a woman in science of a big science institution uh, here in Chicago. Um, is it, have you find allies in your corner? Is that lonely? Is it empowering? What, what has been your experience overall? All of the above, right? <laughs> That's always the best answer is all of the above. No, there, I would say my entire career and now as um, president of the Adler, there are allies and the best way to navigate challenging jobs and stressful situations and big dreams and plans and, and the desire to really push oneself and one's institution to go big is to recognize that there are allies in every corner and you can find them if you look for them. Sometimes they're obvious, but more often you want to look for them. And I always offer the advice that 
ask for them to lean in, speak up, let people know where you could use their help. And so um, if you find there are places where it feels lonely, those other words you put on the list, or if it feels as if you're banging your head against a wall and, and not making the progress you wanna make, ask someone who seems to get you, ask someone who seems to see where you're headed. Um, here's where I could use your help, right? I know you see this, um, the donor who funded the Doan Observatory new telescope and observation park that we were talking about is the kind of person who saw where we were going, saw that by connecting people to the sky above, we were going to feel a part of the discovery process. And he was an early partner who I said, let's help me talk about this with other people, help be an ally to what we see as coming down the road. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you found allies um, in the process and definitely asking for help, it is it is needed. How do you know what to ask for? Because sometimes we need help. Yeah. Right? And, but at times I, I, I personally have encountered where it's like hard to identify exactly what help do I need. Yeah, so I, I get frustrated. I think any of us who are passionate about what we see we want to do get frustrated. And so I often sit and or walk and think about the source of my frustration. Am I frustrated because what? And if I can identify the source of my frustration, then I'll often think about who do I speak to when I don't feel frustrated? Who do I, whether it's chatting with them one-on-one -on -one or, or quite honestly, oftentimes it's, it's committee meetings and group settings where you're trying to affect a decision or change and it's not going well, you can often figure out, well, there's this person though that seems to always kind of see where we're trying to go. And so it's not the same ally in every case. It's the, why is this situation frustrating to me? What's the root of that frustration and who seems to not provide frustration to me around that item? And that's who I'll go to and say, here's where I'm struggling. More often than not, I ask, how would how would you navigate this? How can you help me navigate this? Let them provide the solution. Oh, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, we've asked for help and then we execute on that help. And there are, and, and then what is it like, a, does it become a bigger relationship at times? Is that a mentoring relationship? I'm trying to like close the loop right there. Yeah. Um, I think it, often can go in two directions, which is you'll often find partners in those kinds of allies and you'll find ways in which you together can do something more than you might have been able to do on your own. Um, so I think it can end in partnership, it can end in collaboration, um, it can end in a new ideas, a brainstorming kind of ideas that you maybe couldn't have done without them. And then the other way is it, it can end in a mentorship in a sense where there's a lot of self-reflection involved, right? You don't just take, take, take from an ally or a mentor, implement and move on. You self-reflect and you think, how can I get myself there on my own next time? How can I provide that? And, and so then you've, you evolve 
-hmm. And the next time you're up against a wall, you might go back to that person and say, I'm up against a wall again. It's different this time, but I'm guessing you might be able to. And so then it's a more periodic engagement, right? It hasn't formed into a ongoing partnership, but it has formed into a touchstone, a person you might return to at a later time, not for the same reason, but for a new reason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a, that's a great a, a great explanation of how that could end. And, and it's the best one I've heard so far. So I'm taking that. I'm, I'm writing it down. I'm taking that that note. Are you, do you mentor um, a part of your leadership style? Is, is that to mentor people in your organization? Yeah, I would say so. It's always best to ask those that are feeling mentored if, if you're being a mentor. But um, I would, this is what I, how I would answer that. We talk a lot at the organization about context. We talk a lot at the organization about perspective and motivation. And so I think that's how mentoring happens um, inside an organization is if you just talk about the nouns, quite honestly, if you just talk about the what are we doing, then it feels like a task-oriented relationship. But if you talk about the why are we doing it, how could we go about doing it? Here's the perspective I'm bringing to the discussion. What's your perspective? And you discuss the verbs, the actions, the motivations. I think mentoring occurs in rich environments like that. If you remember to talk about what is sometimes forgotten to be talked about. Mm, that is very well said. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really like that. And, and as a STEM organization, sorry, I'm, I'm keep moving here with question, but as a STEM organization, I'm, I'm sure, and as a woman, I'm sure you think about having uh, girls in STEM. Uh, what is, whether it's your personal um, affiliation with that or, or, or the organizations, if, he has, if, if the organization serves any purposes around adding more women in STEM? Yeah, we 100% we have um, both personally myself because I didn't realize women did STEM when I was growing up. Right? And that was, that was a long time ago, but at the same time, I did not see women doing STEM. Were you, so, were you one of the only, uh, sorry to interrupt, but were you one of the only girls in class? Yeah. yeah, so in my physics class in high school, I was the only girl in my physics class. And in college, I was one of three throughout my whole undergraduate career that was formally in the physics major. And then professionally, I didn't actually understand what I, I mentioned this earlier. I didn't understand what scientists did. I, you know, the, the STEM careers I knew were doctors and engineers and things like that, but they were all men. And so I, I'm getting to the point that I think role modeling and example that someone like you with your life path could go into STEM. So that's personally anchored, but it's, I'll be honest, it's not only restricted to women because we have so much need for all life paths in STEM. We need to diversify the participation in solving these great problems and making these big discoveries. And so it is broader than just gender. It is broader than just race. It is really about life path. And we want people to see themselves as being a part of this. And so that's where the institution, taking it away from my own personal experience and therefore motivation into the institution's motivation, we are looking for people to see that they can participate, they can be a part. And um, we work very hard to have um, all different 
um, like I said, I say life paths, but all different perspectives, all different, and, and primarily those that have not had opportunity to see mm -hmm. themselves reflected in those that are doing this work. Okay, and how do, how do you do that? Like do that through hiring or programs? So we are um, absolutely been working on doing that through programs and we are now working through a internal hiring process because like a lot of organizations, museums have work to do on diversifying who works at the museum as well as who we reach with our programming. So um, a work in progress, but another opportunity of the pandemic. We, we had to go through a very unfortunate downsizing during the pandemic, but it has brought us to a smaller staff size where we can spend some time thinking about how will we rebuild and how will we rebuild more reflective of, yeah. the, of the community that we are a part of. Um, so we're focused on doing that work better um, with our programming work, it's about um, changing the narrative. Change, and as I mentioned earlier, it's also about not just discussing the nouns. It's about discussing what skills, what do we need people to do? What does it look like to be a part of a STEM effort and a STEM process? And so it means all kinds of things. It means being creative. It means having good communication skills. It means some. we need some programmers and we need some you know, technical mathematicians, but we also need a lot of other skills that aren't always thought to be valuable because we don't talk about them, but they're absolutely valuable. And yes. so if we can point those things out to people, then they say, they kind of raise their hand and say, I'd like to try. I think I could bring something there. Nice, that's, yeah. that's really cool. What a, what a good, like you were talking about crisis providing opportunities what a good opportunity that that unfortunate um, event provided Adler. Yeah, I, I too stumble to always want to say unfortunate events because crises are unfortunate events and one would never wish them on you. I would never have wished to have to downsize the staff. We have amazing staff. People. I would never wish for the, the impact that this pandemic has had on life and death. But given that it's here and given that it happened, the best you can do as a leader is say, and in fact, you have to push yourself really hard and you have to say, I would have never been able to do something that drastic. I never would have asked that of our institution. But since something that drastic happened to our institution, well, gosh darn it, we better make some big improvement because of it. Yeah it is really the opportunity to make big improvement and you shouldn't waste that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great. That's really good. It gives me hope that we're not just gonna, a lot of people talk about going back to normal. And I, I honestly have a reaction to, to the words going back. Cause like, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward to yes. normal. <laughs> Yes, I want to go forward to better than normal because normal hasn't gotten us to all that great of a place. We can do better. We can do better as a society. Yeah. So hearing you talk, about it just gives me a little bit, uh, well, a lot, a lot more hope about the fact that you know there's there are thought leaders or beyond behind these institutions that are thinking about the going forward. <laughs> you know what, Marina? The work is hard. It's really hard work, and you have to have that hope. You have. I love the energy and your smile and your voice because 
I don't think we'd get up each day and do work this hard if it weren't because we had so much enthusiasm for where it could take us yes. and where it could, you know, the impact it could have and the direction we could go. That's what you need to do yeah. the hard work and you need to do the hard work to affect change. And that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. So great leadership, right? Um, you've, you've been talking about it through our conversation. Uh, I know when the time before when I met you, we were talking about your leadership style. Are there cornerstones that you can share with the audience about your leadership style? And maybe um, we can phrase them in lessons or, or things that you, you learned to do. Um, and I think you have a really couple of good ones that I really want the audience to hear. <laughs> um. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I think one of the things that is a real pillar for me that I consider to be so important to fight for and to protect is a pace of change that allows us to have the space to do the hard work I was just talking about. You know, lasting change takes time. And you can you can be reactive and you can be about quick wins and you can be about pleasing stakeholders and you can be about metrics and all of these things. But if you want to affect lasting, meaningful change, you're also going to have to get comfortable as a leader saying, here's where we're headed. And that's a 10 year time frame. And so here's where we're going to try to be in five years. And here's how long it's going to take for you to start seeing the first effect of the work that we're doing because so much of change on that timeline, that horizon mm -hmm. is invisible at first. It's a lot of internal work and it's a lot of getting onto the same page and affecting the culture and understanding the needs of the audiences that you're serving. And that's not always externally visible at first. And so you have to protect the space to do that work, to get to the place where you say, now here we are at this step and we're gonna start working towards this and that and the other. So I talk about it as you need to work at the pace of change and that means you need to protect the space to do that work because we get pushed too fast, I think sometimes to actually have lasting impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple, like working in tech, obviously there's, some of that and we, <clears throat> we actually don't there are organizations which have been where we actually don't do change very well because we are so driven by the word urgency and and you know there's a lot of baggage i think it feels like it comes with that word which is like what it, it, you know urgency sometimes can be the want and the passion to drive something home but also at the expense of personal life, balance, mm -hmm. doing the right work, right? Um, so what, when I think about protecting space, obviously being, being in the industry that I am, I think about um, the, the famous black hole where everything goes in to drain resources and something to die or take way longer than it needs to be. I think like what comes up is, the question that comes up there is, how do you balance visibility and accountability and also protecting the space? Right, right. 
Um, those are two different things in my mind. Visibility, I think, can happen mm -hmm. while you're on this longer um, trajectory, and because you can, you can be very open about what it is, what the work is that you're doing. You can mm -hmm. be very open, and so we've established a, a way in which we talk about we research what we are thinking about launching, and that's kind of an internal process. But then we pilot the idea that we had. And that's a visibility effort, but we're very comfortable saying, we don't know if this is gonna stick. We don't know if this is gonna be a lasting thing, but we'd really love to see what you think of it. So we're in the pilot phase and we, we're working very hard. It's, it's, it's a long process to change a culture, but we're working very hard to get everyone comfortable with the fact that this is a pilot phase. We're inviting the public into trying this out with us and we'll see if it works and if we're not. So that's visibility. You're having visibility in the messy parts. Um, and then if the pilot goes well, then we go into promotion. Mm -hmm. And then if promotion ends up seeing that there's a trajectory for it, then we hope to take it into sustainability. Um, and so putting in place those kinds of pieces where you can be visible about the process helps with the visibility part. Because if you try to just keep it close until it's baked, fully baked, then you might lose visibility. But if you're comfortable just saying, hey, come see, we're trying some stuff out, you can help with that one. Nice. Um, the accountability is a whole nother ball of wax, um, if, especially when we're talking about metrics-based measurable accountability, because mm -hmm. I, have a, I have some opinions about how we have, we have become such that we like to measure the things that can be measured standardized testing, um, reports and evaluation often are designed so that you can report the things that can be measured, clicks, mm -hmm. viewerships, things like that. It's a little bit like looking for your keys under the lamppost because that's where the light is, <laughs> even if the keys might not be under, because there is so much else that is rich and important to the experience that is not easily measured. Mm. And I think in our urgency and our desire to show impact broadly, not Adler, broadly, I think we've maybe forgotten that there are some key critical accountability metrics that aren't easily measured. I'm not saying they shouldn't be measured. I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but I think we maybe need to take a little bit more time to think about how does one demonstrate the effect that the Adler Planetarium has on an adolescent who sees the possibility that they could be engaged in science and later 15 years down the road affects their community, right? Through advocacy and scientific engagement in ways that maybe by then we've lost the backward connection to the fact that it was their engagement with the Adler that did it. I don't mind losing that connection. I just think we have to recognize that there are intangibles that are really critically important. How do you, well, um, as a administrator, like this is the administrative answer, like question, uh, the administrative side of you, I think it's like, as an administrator, how do you pitch that to people that are looking at numbers versus uh, and then looking at the business as a business, you know, in black and white paper versus right. as an experience that affects people. Right. So two answers on the business side. Um, I'm not trying to sugarcoat the fact that there are still 
business things we need to measure in a quantitative way, right? So we still have expenses and we still have revenue and we still need to make sure that we're able to demonstrate that we can earn revenue and support our business model through the types of things we're doing. So on the, on the positive side, um, set the pandemic aside. Aside from the pandemic, the Adler was accomplishing being able to support our operations by approaching our programming this way. So the numbers added up on the business side. Um, still work to do to be more long-term sustainable, but we were, we were getting it done. On the other side, I am, I am developing a perception that there are more people out there that might think like you're wanting to think than you realize because we tend to not talk about these things. We tend to just go with the flow and play the game. So I'll be quite honest, there were some funders that we had to step away from because they wanted to measure what could be measured, but it wasn't what we were communicating with them about being our purpose and our goal. And so we said, it feels like this isn't a good fit. And we said, and that's hard, right? You're a nonprofit, yeah. you really need the dollars. But to be able to say, uh, we're just not gonna make that thing for a lot of clicks if we don't feel like it's a meaningful experience just to get the clicks because you want clicks. So thank you, that doesn't fit. And by having those conversations very transparently, what we've discovered is there are like-minded people out there who say, well, let's figure that out. Let's try to figure out how do we measure what it is we're trying to accomplish? How do we find the right metrics that support what's important to you and what's important to us? And just like science, often that's a discovery process. This doesn't exist. How are we gonna figure this out together? Um, so that was a long way of saying, I think you have to talk about it. I think you have to just not nod your head and say, okay, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. You have to instead say, here's why we don't wanna do that. Can we talk about building something a little bit? Difference. That's really smart. And and have you found uh, a few metrics that would drive those goals? One of the one of the examples I like to give because it lands in a quantitative place, which is where I think people's heads <laughs> tend to be able to wrap around. But um, one of the when we started our teen engagement efforts in this kind of participate in the discovery come find a meteorite at the bottom of the lake with us. We don't know where it is, no one does, you can help us find it. The standard metric was how many teens are you serving? And Adler's a fairly small organization, and so our raw numbers of how many teens we were serving was not ever going to be grossly competitive with the larger organizations. Um, so, so we engaged in this conversation around, it takes a lot of time to work meaningfully with a group of teens through the process of finding a meteorite at the bottom of Lake Michigan. And where we arrived, long story short, through a lot of partnership and a lot of discussion and really excellent teen experts on our team, is how about teen hours? If we talk about teen hours, some programs might visit 30 teens for an hour each with their workshop we might visit one teen for 30 hours, mm. not visit, but engage. I'm using, I don't know why yeah. I use the word visit. We might engage one teen for 30 hours mm -hmm. because that's the depth of discovery that we do with them. Think of our light pollution teens, same thing. They put in tens and tens and eventually hundreds of <laughs> hours. 
So if we count teen engagement hours, mm -hmm. sounds simple at the end, but it wasn't in the journey through, but it was really our, our teen programs director that was like, wait, this really helps everyone because it's important that they get exposure activity in an hour or two. That's important. We don't want to discredit opportunities for teens, many teens, thousands of teens to have a, a couple hour experience. We want that to be valuable. But we were desperately clawing and trying to say, where is it that someone could recognize that engaging tens of teens for hundreds of hours is, is, also, is also important. Yeah, that's beautiful. So. That's a really smart way of looking at it. What is that other metric that you keep in the back of your head that perhaps is not as uh, quantitative? <laughs> you want a really funny one? When yeah. I arrived in Chicago eight and a half years ago and would get in, at the time it was all taxis, I'm still a fan of supporting <laughs> taxis, but now it's taxis and Ubers and Lyfts and others. Um, and I would say Adler Planetarium, they wouldn't know where it was or they would take me to the shed because planetarium and aquarium rhyme, I guess. I'm not, I never have understood that confusion. I am so proud that eight and a half years later, I get in a taxi, an Uber, a Lyft, and I say Adler Planetarium, and I get taken to the Adler Planetarium, but even better, I get the kind of interaction you and I had. Oh, man, I really like the planetarium. I looked up at the moon with my kids the other day, and we were seeing craters. So they not only know where we are, they not only get me there, but they want to talk about the sky. And these are random people who I didn't know. So it's, it's not quantitative, it's total, but it's, I think you get the point, which is, people are engaging with the sky above. Yeah. I think we're helping people engage with the sky above. And I don't know how to measure that, but I can tell you my senses from interacting with our community and the world that we're helping people engage with the sky above and they're loving it. That's amazing. I think um, that's a, that was like the best closure for going into our question, our, our final few random questions. Um, that I could do. Um, I want to uh, re-say this for, for the audience. Uh, Michelle's process, she mentioned research, pilot, promotion, and sustainability. And I would love to come back and maybe dive a little bit deeper into um, pace of change and the process that you guys do, uh, that you all do in the, in your science, in the science community at Adler. So I, I, I think we could, we could set it up in the next few months if you're up for it. Oh, I would love it. It's, it's been a blast talking yeah. to you. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. So few authors question that I always kind of ask, uh, cause I'm an avid reader. What is uh, a book you've gifted the most? Yeah, I'm gonna pull what I've heard other guests pull, which is one business, one personal. So I really love gifting the book Onward by okay. Howard Schultz, which is about his time um, in Starbucks CEO. And the reason I gift Onward is it is really one of those in the face of pressure, your employees benefits, the, the good of the employee really can be for the good of the business. And I believe in employee good business leadership. And so that's why I gift Onward. Nice, beautiful. And the personal one? The personal book is by an Alaskan author, and so it's called The Snow Child, and it's by an author named Ewan Ivy. Ivy is her last name. And it's just a wonderful um, fantasy, fantastical, not fantasy, fantastical type of the book. So I recommend you look it up. Is it, is it a nonfiction? Or yes, 
It's fiction. The Snow Child is fiction. Yeah, okay. it, it takes place in Alaska. Okay, I'm looking forward to expanding my fiction reading. So, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, is there a book that you would write? You know, I've been playing around with this space for change, pace of change, that whole thing. And so landscape leadership, pace and space of change, something like that. It's still forming in my head, but it is such a pillar of my leadership that I think I'd like to someday figure out how to get that all out of my head and onto paper. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, space is definitely appropriate for. <laughs> I know. It, it was my team and I. I'm always talking about pace. And they said, you need to you need to add an S because we are about space. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, um, and uh, what is one thing we don't know about you? Oh, I, this one was hard because when you're in a position like I am, you get interviewed and things are out there. But um, I don't think people know I have lived for a meaningful amount of time in seven different states. Oh wow, that's that's quite a bit of states. Yes, <laughs> I have I have three, and, Chica and Chicago has a way to like keep you here for some. Yeah, that's so what we're learning. Yeah, my <laughs> my family and I are like Midwesterners, and Chicagoans really like to stay. So that's why I chose that one because I've moved around yeah. a lot. Okay, um, and lastly, what does it mean for you to be embossed? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know. Um, I think everyone could be embossed, but it takes all of those around them to create the environment. So I think being embossed is getting to work in a culture of respect, a culture where we value each other's contributions, there's trust amongst team members. And I think if you're able to work in a culture of respect and trust and value, you feel embossed, whether you have a boss or not. And the truth is we all have bosses. I might yeah. be the CEO, but I have a boss, I have a board chair. Um, and, and a board. And so I think it's really about how do we create an environment so we all feel unbossed. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank oh, nice to see you. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure and I hope to see you back and I'm definitely going to come visit you all at Adler. So be ready. Be ready to look <laughs> up because we're always ready to look up. All right. Nice to talk to you, Maria. Have a good day. Bye-bye.